Okay, so our second question is, what to consider when drafting an arbitration clause? What should lawyers consider? Well, there's, there's many factors to consider. I mean, at, at its most basic level, as long as you select a seat with a good arbitration law, okay. and also if you're going for an institution, if you go for one with good comprehensive rules, you don't have to do too much more than that right. because the powers will be there, the provisions will be there for you to have an effective arbitration. Um, but uh, you'll need to think about the seat. Obviously, you want to specify the seat because otherwise it can be left to the, uh, the vagaries of, of the contract and wherever you end up having your arbitration. Um, and the choice of seat carries a lot of implications with it. So that's an important consideration. Um, you will want to think about what rules are going to apply, whether you want just an ad hoc arbitration or whether you want to pick a specific institution to run the, the, the arbitration. And if you do pick a, an institution, then that will imply a whole raft of rules. Um, now, I say it will take in a lot of rules, but what it probably won't do is take in a lot of the specific procedures. So if you have a strong preference for a particular type of procedure, you might want to incorporate procedural rules in your clause or, or specific points of procedure. Uh, and I'm talking here about things like uh, how evidence is handled. So, for example, we've got the IBA rules on evidence or we've got the Prague rules on evidence, which have been published recently. And that might depend whether you have a preference for a common law style of arbitration or a civil law style. Uh, things like time limits. Um, so often an act or a set of rules will be open-ended in terms of time. Uh, not all, but, but most. If you want to say that this arbitration has to be finished within six months or a year or two years, if you want to set an end point, uh, then that is the kind of thing you would normally have to agree. Mm -hmm. And you might want to do that in a contract if that's a very strong preference of yours. Uh, the number of arbitrators is always uh, an issue. Most rules for arbitrations of any size will provide for three, but you can specify whether you want a sole arbitrator or, or more than one. Um, should be an odd number, of course. Uh, you can specify the language that's to apply. That might be important if you're dealing with parties from different uh, jurisdictions. Um, and then, you ought to think about uh, the substantive law of the contract. Make sure that's specified within the contract. If it's not, then certainly it should be specified within the arbitration clause so that the tribunal knows the substantive law in accordance with it has to determine uh, the dispute. Um, and then, there might, depending on your jurisdiction, on your rules, you need to look at the default rules what can be changed, what can't be changed, it's important to understand what the mandatory rules are in, a, in an arbitral seat. Uh, and is there anything you want to change? So for example, I mentioned confidentiality before. Uh, the default position in Scotland is that uh, arbitrations are confidential, but it's opt-out. So if you don't want it, you can say in your clause that that's not to apply. Uh, and there'll be a lot of provisions which are default uh, within a set of rules. Uh, and you need to understand what the default provisions are so that you're not signing up to something which ultimately you or your, your client doesn't want. All right, thank you very much. Uh, Professor Cameron, anything else to add? Well, I, I think Brandon's hit all the, or struck all the, hit the right notes there. And, and, and 
uh, by emphasising the institution, whether it's a soul or, a, or a, a, an arbitral panel. Um, they are very important because looking ahead, you might find that the institution you've chosen has, has maybe nominated an arbitrator, maybe a sole arbitrator. You might think this is cost effective, it saves you some money, but you become unhappy with the, the arbitrator. And you decide that, that maybe, as Brandon was saying, that, that, that maybe the arbitration has gone on for a long time and maybe the arbitrator doesn't seem to be in a hurry. So you, you might take the view, well, we didn't actually specify how long this should be, but it is taking now too long and we'd, we'd like, we think it's the fault of the arbitrator and we'd like to replace him. Um, but you might very well find that you have to go then back to the institution and make a very, very good case for the removal of that arbitrator and they in, uh, triggers their procedures, they investigate and they may conclude, no, sorry, we think he's done a good job and uh, we're not going to change him. And you're stuck, that's it. You have to go on with that, that sole arbitrator. So you might not have thought about that at the beginning. Probably people will not because you'll, you'll just assume among the many assumptions that you will make that this is going to work out but you might get an unpleasant surprise and that happens. So if a lawyer does come, a, come up with some comments that are rather, that sound very gloomy, it's not because they've got a gloomy disposition. It's probably just they've got an awful lot of experience about what can go wrong. And, and so when it does go wrong, um, it's, uh, it's, it's bad news for, uh, for quite a few of the parties. I don't think I want to add anything else right, on that unhappy note. <laughs> thank on. you very much. I was going to say another, oh. Peter mentioned settlement earlier, oh. and a lot of something you can do within a dispute clause, not necessarily just an arbitration clause, but a dispute resolution clause, is to put a stepped procedure in. Yes. So to add in uh, right. ways in which parties can try and achieve a settlement before they get to the formal arbitration. So you can put in a requirement to mediate mm -hmm. uh, or to negotiate at a high level. Uh, and some of the arbitral rules build in that sort of provision. So some sets of rules uh, will incorporate uh, a mediation provision or a conciliation provision as an option within their rules. Uh, you can also split out uh, types of disputes. So whilst it's important to get the arbitration clause right, an arbitration process, particularly an institutional arbitration process, is is a, a big thing to happen, you know, and an expensive thing to happen. And it might not be that every single dispute that arises uh, under a contract merits going to full-blown arbitration. Uh, and I know that Peter and I have discussed uh, uh, a number of alternatives to that in the past. So you might want to specify that a certain type of dispute arising under a contract doesn't go to arbitration at all, but is in fact dealt with by, for example, expert determination, which is a much more narrow process uh, with its own pros and cons. All right, uh, thank you very much, Brandon. Thank you very much, Professor Cameron. That marks the end of our first video. The next one will be on the steps, typical steps in an arbitration, and we shall also discuss the seat of arbitration. Why is it important? Stay tuned.